Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, there's a, uh, there's a truth that we all need to know and all recognize, but I want to r- try to reframe it for us today. Something that we already know. Things don't always work out as planned, right? I, I, I'm married to a planner, which is like, I'm so grateful for that. She is a better planner than I am. But also like life rarely goes as planned because of things other people do because of the things that we do. And that means that some of our dreams in life just won't come true. And, and what's worse is, is often it means, it can mean that some of our dreams can't come true. Like the, the, the two of you may not live happily ever after, or maybe you don't get to end up walking that daughter down the aisle, or maybe that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter, maybe, maybe it doesn't look like they're going to come home. And, and, and as we see dreams crumble. There can be an internal sense of panic and anger and anxiety. And we start to feel some things, uh, things like God, God promised you, right? Like God owes you and you did things right. And isn't there a cause and effect to life? Like if I, if I do good things, God is going to do good things for me, right? Like, shouldn't it work like that? But it, but it looks sometimes like God granted somebody else your, your, your wish or what you wanted. And, um, I'm going to ask a question that, that David's life answers for us. What do we do when our dreams can't come true? And, and, and what we're going to do today is to delve in with David. And, and this is kind of a two-part mini-series within the eight-part series. David, King David, he's in his, he was in his 20s. And because of Saul, he realizes some of his dreams can't come true. But the story we catch up with him today, he's in his 50s which in that day meant that he was old. Today, 50 seems, I mean, I think it seems pretty young, but I, I guess depending on where you're sitting. But in that day, if you made it to your 50s, you were considered like old. And at, at that point, you'd probably, if you were in your 50s, you lost most of your teeth. You were not very good looking and you probably smelled really bad. So suddenly we catch up to David and he's been king for a while, for a lot of years. And where he used to be young and cool, like young, cool, hot King David. Now he's not so cool King David. And he sends his men off to war. And for some reason, maybe it's his age, he doesn't go with them. But, but in 2 Samuel, it says this, David remained in Jerusalem right after he sent his men off. And you probably remember the story of what happens next. It, it says it like this. One, one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, David's up on his rooftop terrace, right? And so he sees this woman bathing down there in the city, calls his servant over and, 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 and he's like, who is this woman? And his servant says, Uriah's wife. Uriah was an officer in David's army. Uriah has gone off to battle. She's alone and naked right there below him. And the servant's like, it's his W-I-F-E wife. But David doesn't care. He says, go get her and send her to me. And so he does. They spend the night together. That probably happens more than once. 
And well, wouldn't you know it, it, it then says that the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant from 2 Samuel 11. And it's like, uh-oh, things are off the rails. But they get even more off the rails because of how David chooses to, to handle this. He calls Uriah, her husband, back from battle. He tells him to come home. And David wines and dines. Uriah asks him how it's going. And, and then he sends him home to his wife, or at least he tries to, thinking, if I can get them to have a night together, no one will ever know what I did. Except for the fact that there are no secrets in the palace. The walls, they talk. There are servants everywhere. But because David thinks he can control everything and manage every possible outcome, his arrogance and his pride lead him down this very ugly road. So he tries to get Uriah to go home, but Uriah won't do it because Uriah, unlike David in this moment, is an honorable man. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men, your men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah is like, hey, I'm not going home. How could I do that to my, my men? They're in battle. Uh, you, you want me to go home and spend a night with my wife? How could I do that when they're all encamped in the country and they are in a fight? I'm supposed to be out there with them right now. And I, and I wonder if the subtext here, what Uriah is thinking is like, and King David, you should be out there with us too. But David's like, okay, you're one of those guys, all righteous, you know, and good. And so he tells Uriah to stay one more night with him. And, and Uriah obeys the king and they feast again. And he gets Uriah really drunk and he points him towards his house again, but again, Uriah doesn't go. Uriah instead sleeps uh, on the floor with the king's servants. And David gets mad or frustrated or whatever, whatever he is. And he says, well, then here's what I'm going to do because he's like in it now. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out on the front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. He sends Uriah's own death sentence rolled up in a letter to Joab back with Uriah and tells Joab the commander, hey, put Uriah out in the front of the battle. And, and then when the battle gets going, I want everybody except for Uriah to take one big step back. So Uriah dies in battle and Bathsheba mourns for her husband and she's pregnant. And then David thinks, I can still be the hero of this story. I'll marry her and everybody's going to think that I'm a great guy for taking care of this other man's child. But his big secret, it's not a secret. The servants talk, the walls talk, and, and, and people know what really happened and the word gets around and his reputation is forever chained to what he did to Bathsheba. And the reason we know that because that's not the end of the story. It'll, it'll be the end of the story for us today. And next week we'll pick up with what happens next. But, but what happens next is this. Eventually Nathan comes to see David. Nathan is Israel's prophet now. And he, he has a story to tell 
David. Nathan says this to David. He says, there was a man, like a very wealthy guy, who had all kinds of cattle, he had all kinds of sheep, more than he could even count. And, and living nearby, there was a poor man who had one little lamb. He took care of that lamb. And it was like it was one of his own daughters. And, and that lamb drank from his own cup. That lamb slept in his own arms. He loved that little lamb. But one day the rich man had a visitor come in from out of town and he was going to prepare a feast for him. But instead of preparing one of his own lambs, he went and he took the poor man's one lamb and had it prepared for dinner. Well, that story made David very angry. And he said, that's not fair. That's not right. Let's go after this guy and make him pay. And it's such a dramatic moment in, in the whole scene because Nathan points at him and he says, you are that man. You took what was not yours for yourself. And you did it because, well, you could. You're the most powerful man in the room, the most powerful person in the entire kingdom. And so you did it because you could. And David finally breaks. He finally allows the law of God to break him. David finally began to mourn his own sin, but, but this happens. This is what the Lord says, Nathan said to him, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Everyone in the kingdom is going to know about this, God says. They'll know about what you did, and there's going to be a consequence for your actions and everybody is going to see it. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He finally gets to that point. Now, now that sounds um, intense. And next week we're going to get to see how this part of David's story concludes. And I'm, I'm going to tell you though, it's even more shocking than what you heard today. Nathan says, you're not going to die, but there's going to be a consequence coming for you. And it is a severe, life-changing one. All of this comes back on him. And David realizes that his dreams for his family and his kingdom cannot come true. But for just a minute, let's pull back and let's see the bigger picture. Like, let's see what's really going on here and what it means for you and what it means for me. So like, like four insights here that I think that we can take with us beyond, beyond simply talking about the sin of adultery. Now, sometimes this passage is taught with an emphasis as, as hard, as it, hard as, it, as it is to believe on what the woman did in the story that was wrong. It, it's kind of like, but, but look at what she did. She's out there bathing within view of David's terrace. She knew what she was doing. The implication with that kind of teaching is just that. She knew exactly what she was doing. Can we just say a firm no to that? Let me ask you a question. In that relationship, in that situation between David and Bathsheba, who holds the power? Where did the power in that relationship reside? We have to be aware of who we are and what environments we move in and out of because there are always power dynamics at play. So first I want to say this, pay attention to your power. Now, uh, like there's the power of the Holy Spirit 
who we carry with us if we know Christ. And through him, we have the power to break down any stronghold and, and, and any barrier. He has that power. But we should also talk about societal, cultural, socioeconomic power for a minute and be aware that depending on who you are, what environment you're in, what you look like, what you were afforded as a child, you may carry with you a certain power, a certain weight into a relationship, into a board meeting, into a neighborhood, into a bank, into a school, into a college classroom, or wherever you are. And let me illustrate this by telling you about me, okay? Um, I'm a white male. I don't know if uh, you noticed that or not. I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina to a family with, with two amazing parents who loved me and my brother and sister dearly and everything. They, they did everything they could do for us. They read books to us when we were young. They invested themselves in our education, in our spiritual lives. They made sure that we had everything that we needed and then some. They provided such a great living for us that we had lots of clothes, lots of food, a great neighborhood to live in with other people in that same boat. Great schools to go to, and they expected things out of us to go to college. They told us they would pay for it when we did. And most of the time, I took that for granted. I guess I assumed that that was pretty much what everyone else had. In fact, and, I, and, I'm, and it's kind of embarrassing to own up to this, but I could tell you which of my friends I thought had more than me. What I came to realize as I got older is that not everyone had those things. Not everyone had those parents. Not everyone had that safe place to live or those kinds of resources. And I thought for a while that, that we're all lining up on the same starting line, right? We're all running the same race and it's just up to your effort. It's just up to your effort. And I realized at some point that, that, that actually what was happening was that in some ways I was starting from a place that was farther ahead than some of the other kids that I got to know at school or at church or on my basketball team or even in my neighborhood. I mean, I mean, effort is important, don't get me wrong, but it's not everything. And the reason I say that, um, because of all those things, I can walk into certain places and have an automatic advantage. I, I, I bet you each have certain advantages in different places of your life too, but it's, it's, it's not just enough to recognize the power that you may have. Recognize, recognizing it can also simply lead to abusing it. That's like what David did. The challenge, but, but also the opportunity, is to use the voice you have for something really good, for someone else who had to maybe start farther behind than you. David hurt somebody because he could. And in doing that, he damaged himself greatly. You have power. I have power. You do. How are you using it? Second thing is this. Never try to be the hero of your own story. You, you and I are writing stories with our lives. But we're not ever, ever, ever intended to be the hero in them. And when you try to paint yourself as the hero, bad things tend to happen because you're just not. You and I were made to be awesome supporting cast members in this story of our lives. Jesus is always the hero. He's the one we're to shine our spotlight on. He's the one who always deserves the credit. Third, third thing that I want you to see here is this, that every sin comes prepackaged with a consequence. 
That's the awful truth of destructive sin in our lives. Like we can receive forgiveness, yes, but often the consequences of our brokenness remain. Every sin comes prepackaged with a consequence. It's just a rule of life. You reap what you sow. Thankfully, there's forgiveness and God doesn't throw us out and leave us on the trash pile, which leads to my fourth and last thought. What we don't get a glimpse of in this story is what David writes about later. As he finally stops running, he sits with himself, he cries out to God, and he picks up his pen, and he writes this song, which would eventually become one of the Psalms. He's thinking about what he did and who God is. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. One thing David never lost was his recognition that God was God and that he was not. And let me end with this. You are never beyond God's reach and redemption. I mean, it's spelled out for us so tightly, so succinctly in the New Testament. As as Paul tells us what Jesus really did, he said that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I believe that today David would say to that, thanks be to God, that though I am a sinner, Christ died for me. He didn't leave me to die even though I deserved it. He came after me so that in him, not in me, but in him, I can become the righteousness of God. And that is his offer to us as well. Let's pray. God, would you remind us today that... um, that first of all, we can never be too far away from you, that we can't come back, that we can't return, that we can't receive forgiveness and restoration and your redemption. God, I'm also reminded that there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for our sin. God, would you help us to follow you well, to follow you clearly, God, to step into a life of um, obedience to you, not perfection, knowing that we will always fall short, but God, you in your power make up um, the rest, that you make it up for us. What an amazing gift that is. Would you also help us recognize today that each of us carries strength, each of us carries certain power into the rooms that we walk in. May we use that wisely and for your glory and for good in this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.